0: Well, we're going to talk about prayer this morning, and I was thinking about, um, gosh, how, how strange prayer is for us, um, the relationship that um, we all have as the church uh, to prayer. How how many of us began like this relationship to prayer, not exactly knowing much uh, about it and then probably still finding ourselves in the dark uh, about it probably even today. I mean, it's probably safe to say that it, it, a lot of us, if we're really d- to, to probe in deeply about what we know, what we understand, what we think about prayer, we'd, we'd probably be fumbling a little bit. We're not, we're not really sure you know, what it is, what to do with it, how effective it is. And, and maybe some of you had that experience uh, growing up in a church or, or, or maybe a, a religious or a Christian household and you were probably told some things, right? You're probably told, well, say your prayers before bedtime. You were kind of given like a, a pattern to fall into, or maybe you just mumbled, you know, mom or dad mumbled an impatient, you know, thank you, God, before you like dove into dinner, like wolves, right? Um, we might have this default setting that, that prayer is what, just what good people do who believe in, in God, right? But I think what's interesting is that most of us have never been told what to pray, most likely, or how to pray, or given an explanation as to the reason why Christians pray at all. What is this thing that we, we do and we talk about, but, but how do we unpack it? How do we begin to understand it more deeply and how it enriches and affects our lives? I, I wonder how many of you have felt like prayer is just this somewhat uh, nagging, annoying, obligatory thing that feels like speaking random words in your head or into the air that God either hears or has no interest in if he does hear or, hey, he's going to do what he wants anyway, right? So why, why are we bothering with, with prayer? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start here with just a quick summary statement of what prayer is. And, and this is what it is. And, and by the way, just so you know, before, before we even begin to unpack this, this, uh, this topic of prayer, this ordinary means of grace, as your pastor, man, I love you. And my heart is that I, I want you all to grow, all of us to grow into a praying people. Like if we're the church, it presupposes that we are a people that is constantly going before God, whether we do it collectively or whether we do it in our personal lives. And that, that's a growth thing for us. And so I want us to become a praying church. And we do our best up here on a Sunday as sort of a rehearsal, as a model for what it's supposed to look like in our, in our personal lives. So we, we do pray collectively. Um, but we also wanna encourage that this is just sort of a kicking off point for all of our prayer lives as we, as we scatter. But this is sort of a, maybe a a summary of what prayer is. Prayer is coming boldly and humbly before God so that our heart becomes more deeply conformed to the will of God and we grow more deeply in the love, grace, and peace of Jesus Christ. And that's what really what prayer is. And there, there could be like 45 other summary statements that are probably better than that. But that's what we have this morning. Let me just say it one more time. Prayer is coming boldly, and humbly before God so that our heart becomes more deeply conformed to the will of God and we grow more deeply in the love, grace and peace of Jesus Christ. Now Paul provides us with sort of this internal to do list for the mind and hearts of Christians that's related to prayer as we turn to Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 and this is what he says to the church. He says rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So we're in week three of this series called The Means of Grace, meaning when we talk about prayer, it's one of the ongoing benefits that God has given us for our redemption that he uses in our life to draw closer to us. So that our hearts and minds become guarded like what Paul just said, by the peace of God. What is your heart gonna be most characterized by? Well, Paul is saying here that when we are laying everything at the feet of God through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving and letting our requests be made known to him, something's going to change in our hearts, right? Our hearts are gonna be reshaped, they're gonna be transformed. And not just transformed like, man, I got this new invigorated heart, and I'm gonna go out and like crush it. It's like, no, 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 I'm gonna be guarded by a peace that surpasses understanding. So I'm gonna have a heart that's unusual in the sense of how it reacts to the events of life. How does that heart get shaped like that? How do you have a heart that is guarded by that kind of peace? What Paul is telling us here is that it comes through prayer. So let's start with the why. Why should we pray? And this is going to be practical. We're going to get into the why and the what, the how and the when. We're just going to break it all down. We're going to start with the why. Why should we pray? Why should you pray? Well, first off, because God's word instructs us, first of all, to pray without ceasing in First Thessalonians. This means, what this tells us, this praying without ceasing, And that doesn't mean that you never have another thought in your mind or that another word never comes out of your lips that isn't a prayer. That's not practical, right? Like I'm doing it right now to you and it's not a prayer, right? This means that it's a good and a right thing to make it a habit to be in constant conversation and communion with your creator. That's what that means. Proverbs 147.11 tells us this. It says, the Lord takes pleasure in those who hope in his love. And so prayer is an expression of that hope that we have in the love of God. Have you ever had the opportunity to to just spend time talking to someone, to a person, and before you part ways, maybe with somebody that you'd you'd been wanting to talk to or you had never spoken to before, but before you part ways, they give you their personal information and they say something like, hey, don't ever hesitate to contact me anytime and I'm never too busy to take your call, right? What they're saying in that moment is that you have access to them. And prayer is us having access access to God and that's one of the reasons why we should praise because God the creator of the universe has given us of all people access to him but when I'm talking about a, another person right with the example I just gave man there's just limitations with that right I mean they might say contact me anytime but if you start calling them at 3 a.m. they're going to tell you what they meant by any time right God is someone, on the other hand, who just accepts and he welcomes your prayers without any sort of limitations. Proverbs 15, verse 8 says this The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. So if you are somebody who finds yourself in Christ, your prayers to him are acceptable. You have access to them. And he's asking us to come to him constantly without ceasing. So we glorify God and we delight his heart when we come to him in prayer. Imagine the creator of the universe saying, oh my gosh, Mark Petrus, I just want you to, to come to me. Ray Rotman, I just want you to man, just come, just come and talk to me. Just speak to me. Just hang out with me. Just commune with me. And I want you just to do it non-stop. wherever you may find yourself, whatever kind of state you're in, whatever kind of sin that you're involved with, whatever kind of broken place relationally you're in, whatever kind of, whatever kind of functionally where, where your life is maybe just falling apart in all of these different areas, man, I'm just right here and I'm beckoning you toward me. It tells us something about the heart and the mind of God, which we're going to get into in a minute. So why should we pray? Well, here's a couple of other things. Prayer is how we speak to God. So prayer is this, this mode and this method in which we speak to God. We groan to God. We complain to God. We rejoice. We confess our sin. We express our thankfulness. We ask for help. We tell him what we need. That is the access that we have, and that is acceptable for us to go to him with those things as the Psalms instruct us. David in Psalm 55, he said, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Dude, people that utter their complaints and moan evening and noon, like I'm like, you know what? I'm not sure that I have those two times available for you today, right? That's not God. Do you see the kind of access that David had to God and and the invitation that he knows God is extending to him, right? Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and I moan. Do you ever think of yourself as going before the Lord and complaining and moaning and think that he is just receiving that and accepting that? Well, God's word tells us that he does and he hears our voice. David then again says in Psalm 51, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Don't cast me away. David says he's repenting, he's confessing his sin because he has access, he can speak to God and God's going to hear his voice. Again, in Psalm 9 verse 1, he said, I will give thanks to the Lord. With my whole heart, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. So you, you see the, the, the different postures that David has. Why? Because he's like us. Because he's a complex person. Because his life wasn't just stable and level all the time. There were moments where he had to complain and moan. Moments where he needed to confess his sin. He had moments where he needed to be thankful. He needed to remember to be thankful to God for all that God had done and his faithfulness to him. Imagine having the opportunity to speak to the one who gave you the ability to speak. If we're talking about the one who created your vocal cords, what would he then want you to best do with them? But to speak those words back to him, to bring him our thoughts and our heart. And not only that, but he receives those words you speak to him with full pleasure, full acceptance. It's just nuts. It's just remarkable. So prayer is how we speak to God. prayer is also how we have God's ear. Remember there was this blind man in the gospel of John who Jesus healed. The Pharisees didn't like Jesus. They didn't like that this man had been healed. So they just kind of like brought him in for inquisition. They wanted to know like what happened, how it all went down, hoping that it was just some illusion that they could prove him wrong in. And this is what he said. He said, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if Anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to Him. Now God listens to sinners all the time, right? What he mean, what He was referring to are people that are unrepentant and think that they can just go before God and be heard, even though their life and their heart and their posture is against God. But for those of us who have been saved by Christ, we have God's ear. We have God's ear. He said, God listens to him. Do you know that God listens to you? Imagine being able to express your every thought, your every disappointment, your every sin, your every hope and fear, your every failure, every evil thought, every angry impulse, every happiness, every dream. You've never spoken to anyone else in the world. Imagine being able to go before God and have him listen to you. Imagine having his ear and then imagine not only that, but regardless of what came out of your mouth, imagine the smile that comes over God's face and the understanding, if you could see him physically, the understanding that he would have in his eyes and the love that he would have in his voice then, as not only do you pray, but like we learned last week, you open up his word, And you read the words that are filled with love and understanding that are full of joy and full of invitation and full of welcome to you. Because why? Because you're his child and he has all the time in the world and all the ear in the universe to give to you to listen and to receive. So prayer is how we speak to God. Prayer is how we have God's ear and prayer is how we, we get close to God. Prayer is how we confess our sins. Prayer is how we become conformed to God's will. James four, eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. You sinners and purify your hearts. You double minded James just was never trying to make friends apparently. Right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I think we had a sign over our sink that, that had that printed out because we just want you guys to get this, you know, as you're in the bathroom and, and washing your hands. But look what it says at the beginning. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Here's the thing. Our sin is always crouching at the door. And it is just seeking to master us like it did to Adam and Eve's son, Cain, who committed the first reported murder in the Bible when he killed his brother, Abel, but man, some sins, they just stick to us. They're, they're hard, they're, they're hard, they're, man, they're, they're just like, they're like interwoven, right? Because at some point in our lives, they became a pattern and they stick to us. They formed habits that are incredibly difficult for us to break. And what Jesus does through prayer is he transforms us by the renewing of our mind to pursue holiness. And have you ever prayed that God would guard you against some of what we call these besetting sins? Like these sins that just keep following you. You can't seem to shake them. Have you ever prayed that God would guard you against those? That he would deliver you? from those? Do you ever pray ferociously to God that he would deliver you from those sins that affect you physically and emotionally and spiritually? Have you ever prayed that? Maybe you've never progressed much in your battle with sin and sometimes we don't progress much but could it be that you haven't really progressed in some of these sins because you haven't developed a a pattern of prayer to combat what's actually and really going on, which that it's a spiritual battle. Like man, Paul was just so clear in Ephesians chapter six. What did he say? Remember that? He said, we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. So like when, when you step back and you look at all the issues that are plaguing you, all those sins that just keep gnawing at you and scraping at you, your battle really isn't there. Your battle is what's going on inside of here. It's not out there. It's in here. It's not a battle against flesh and blood. It's not them. It's not that. It's not the temptation. It's the heart that receives and acts and wills and lives in to those things that don't please God. What prayer does is it helps us, it equips us, it puts some armor on us to be able to say no to those things that continue to tear at us. That's the power of prayer. First Peter 1:13, Peter says this, he says, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient, listen, as obedient children, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you must also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So prayer is how we prepare our minds for action and become sober minded and begin to have our hope set fully on God's grace. What else is going to set it? What are you going to do? If that's the battle, if the battle is that we got to reset our minds, if the battle is that it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and rulers of the darkness of this age, like th- th- there's something in there that should sober us like peter's telling us man we got to be sober minded about these things we got to understand what it is that we are facing and then we got to understand that the only way for us to combat it with any sense of victory and success is through prayer prayer is one of the ways that we are conformed to the passions of god and we find the strength to set our hope fully on the grace that is ours. So that is, that is why we should pray. I could just stop right there, but we're actually gonna get into what, how, and when. But that's why. That's why we should pray. That's why we're sitting targets without prayer. We're unguarded without prayer. We're just a linebacker showing up for the Super Bowl wearing a tank top and shorts on the line. The sports analogies are just rolling out free this morning for you because <laughs> we've got the Super Bowl coming. That's what it's like, though. But it doesn't have to be because God has given us something as a means of our grace. So that's why we should pray. What should we pray? What should we pray? Let's turn to Luke chapter 11. Make a hard left. Go to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to Luke 11. You can also read a little bit about the same story in Matthew where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Hey, how do we pray? Teach us how uh, to pray. And so in Luke 11 verse 2, The disciples after asking Jesus to teach them how to pray as John taught his disciples in verse two, chapter 11, he says to them, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Again, you can get a a more even more of a fuller version of that prayer uh, in Matthew. So again, when we read a prayer like this as a way to understand what to pray like the disciples were asking. And by the way, the disciples, these dudes that were hanging out with Jesus, if they had to ask him what to pray, we got to ask Jesus what to pray. Like we need to know what to To pray, And again, this prayer is is not just an indicator that this is the exact prayer that we pray, although you can pray this exact prayer, but it's a pattern in how we are to pray, right? And so there's five really kind of interesting sort of uh, uh, principles and points here that Jesus leads us in, in terms of what our heart should be seeking after as we go before the Lord. The first one is he says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name. Remember who you're praying to is what Jesus is telling his disciples, the almighty God of the universe. He's not you, right? Jesus is not your homeboy, right? He is your friend. Right? But he's also the almighty, holy God. So we go before God with a sense of reverence. That's how Jesus opens it up. And then he says, uh, your kingdom come. And in Matthew, he says, your will be done. So when we pray to a holy God who we know has created us and we are his creatures, we want to line up our priorities. We want to line up our desires. We want to line up our will with God's will. Why? Because he actually knows the things that we need more than we know the things that we need. And those things are contained and found in his Word. So what we do is we acknowledge that God is holy. We also acknowledge that God um, has a knowledge about what we need better than we even know what we need. And we want those priorities to line up with his. But God also understands that we have needs, which is why he says, give us each day our daily bread. God also understands that we need some things to live and to survive. So included in our prayers, Lord, provide for me. Because all good things come from you and it's your joy, I understand, to supply me with my needs. So God is holy. We want to line up our will with his. We want to pray that he would provide those things that we need And then he gets into saying, forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So we also, as we pray to God, we wanna remember to confess our sins. If we are holding something against a brother or a sister, we wanna forgive to the degree that we've been forgiven. You know what, that helps us remember who we are before God. Man, we're just a forgiven sinner, just like that sinner that we're having a hard time forgiving. But do you, you see how that there's this cleansing process that happens? So I'm four points into this prayer, and I already know God is holy. I already know that I need, I, I need to remember to align my will with his will. I need to remember that, man, I, I mean, I, I think I'm really cool because I go out and buy bread at the grocery store, but it's actually him who is providing that bread for me ultimately. I know how to toast it. But he provides that bread for us. And then I need to remember that I have a heart that withholds forgiveness. I have a heart that is sinful, that still needs to go before the Lord and say, I'm a sinner and I need to confess my sins to you. So they don't create a residue that eventually builds a wall between us. And then finally, he says, lead us not into temptation. So we pray to be guarded against the enemy, remembering that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, Guard us against those spiritual forces that are waging war against our soul. Guard us from temptation. Guard us from the weakness and the fragility of our hearts to fall into things that we crave, that we lust after, that aren't what God has for us. So God tells us why we should pray all through scripture and then Jesus specifically tells his disciples what to pray. Well, if, if there's something we should be praying in a what, um, there's probably also something that we should remember how, how not to pray. How should, how should we not pray? Let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus just gives a warning to us about how not to pray. And this is just very, very brief. We're not going to have time to unpack this fully. Chapter 6, verse 5 And Jesus says, and when you pray, he says, you must not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the actors. Don't be people that think by praying, um, they're earning some kind of favor toward God. And they're also earning a reputation around men and women as being holy. Because it's not just the verbal act of prayer um, that qualifies you, but it's the heart that is behind the words that you are praying. So that's what he says. Don't be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. And then he says, but when you pray, and again, this is not the only way to pray, but he's saying, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then verse 7, he says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. These long prayers with all of these like Greek and Hebrew words. It's like, who do you think you're talking to right now? He says, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. It's like what I just said in a minute ago, like their words is what's going to make them have God's ear. He says in verse 8, do not be like them for your father knows what you need Before you ask him, that's what's crazy about prayer is that you're going before God saying words that he already knows you're going to say. Well, why do I say him then? Didn't we just do the why? The comfort of knowing that when we go before the God of the universe, that every word that is on our lips, in our minds, in our hearts, that we just say off the top of our heads or that we were planning to say God already knows it. That should give us such a comfort. That should give us such a hope. That should give us such a resilience to know that we have a father who knows what we need before we even ask and that we should be careful not to make praying a show for others as well as for ourselves, thinking that it's just the act of praying and going before the Lord that's somehow justifying us. Because it's, it doesn't justify us, it's for those who have been justified. And God is cleansing us through the act of saying words to him that he already knows we are going to say. So that's how we should not pray. So we've learned why. We've learned what? We've learned how we should not pray. When should we pray? Well, the first point is that we should pray always. We should always pray. 1 Thessalonians 1.16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus For you, So we develop a pattern in our lives where we are constantly bringing things to God. Isn't it so helpful that God is basically warning us, that Jesus warned us against praying these long, elaborate prayers? Because you can pray a prayer to God that's two words. Let me tell you a prayer that I pray to God often. God, help. I'm going into a meeting. God, would you help me? I just need your help. God, I don't know what to do. God, I'm meeting with a person. I have no idea what to say. God, will you help me love my wife better? God, I'm feeling dull today. I don't feel like engaging with you. I don't feel like reading the word. Will you help me? It is a profound prayer for the person who goes before God and has two words for God but praise those two words incessantly because he sees or she sees their deep and desperate need for God. Pray always Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's a pastor from uh, the kind of the the mid early to mid part of the 20th century. Um, He said, always respond to every impulse to pray. Whenever you have an impulse to pray, pray. Go before the Lord. So we want to pray always. That's the when. The other part of the when is we want to pray when we're with others. So we don't want to just pray ourselves, but we want to pray collectively. Acts 142 said, all those with one accord, talking about the early church. Remember we went through the book of Acts. It says all those with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his Brothers. And then in James chapter five, we're going to get there probably in April, but it says this confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So do you realize that when you pray for others, God is using and working through the words that you are saying that align with his will and what he desires and you are having an effect on the people that you pray for. I have no idea what some of my life scenarios and circumstances would be had I not had people tell me after they happened, hey, for some reason, man, I just want you to know yesterday, man, I was just praying for you. And I thought about you like three times. And each time I just stopped and I prayed for you. I felt like I should pray for you. Why? Why did he feel like that? Well, because we share the same Holy Spirit, and sometimes the Spirit, in ways that we can't comprehend or understand, he puts people on our hearts. And we need to be moved and motivated to pray for people, knowing that God is going to use that. Now, I don't know what would have happened had he not prayed and, 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 and God you know, used another means to, to act in a particular situation. I have no idea. I just know that they prayed. And I know that when he told me he prayed, it gave me a certain level of encouragement, knowing that there is somebody else part of the body of Christ, doesn't even live here, that is praying for me. Some of you guys have told me, man, I'm praying for you. Well, that's how God works his will in my life. One of the ways God works his will in your life is that I pray for you. And I think about your faces individually. And I say, God, would you be with the Snooks today? I'm just, for some reason, I'm thinking about them. I don't know what they're doing, but I love them. And I pray that you would give them strength and endurance. Pass the ketchup, Melissa. I mean, there it is, right? That's the prayer. So we pray when we're with others. Prayer is unifying. It's what we do as the church. It's this thing that we have in common. It expresses our togetherness. And we also pray when we open God's word. As you read God's word, pray God's word, right? Right? We do it every Sunday morning as I read a call to worship from the Psalms. I just pray through that psalm very briefly. Let the words you read be the prayers that you recite. All it means to pray God's word is that you are talking to God using his words. It's not formulaic. Again, I do it as we open our service every week with our call to worship. Psalm 19 reminds us, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your sight In your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So as we grow in prayer, we begin to pray God's words more and more because those are the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts that more frequently surface and come out of us. So in that sense, reading God's word and praying, man, they are two things that just are bound together. They're just bound together. And kind of like we learned from uh, what Scott read earlier, man, there are those times and we don't know what to pray. If you grab your bulletin, look on the front of it again. I'm going to read what he read before again. What happens when I don't have words? I feel like as I, as I get older with my, in my walk in the Lord, I, I have less words to pray before the Lord. We don't always have to just go before the Lord and just talk, 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 talk. Why? Why don't we just need to talk, talk, talk? Well, because God knows what's in our hearts. And so not that it's not that not that we don't want to talk, but there are times and there are seasons. I've experienced these When I just don't have it. I don't have a word. I don't know what to say. I don't even know what I need. And so Romans 8, Paul tells us, he says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness how gracious is God that he's asking us to pray and then when we don't have words to pray, he says, dude, it's cool. The spirit will help you in your weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep words. You know what that looks like for me? It looks like for me at five in the morning when I am sitting in a chair and there's one light on in the house because I couldn't sleep and I'm just sighing over and over again my phone's put away. I got God's word opened. I don't feel like reading I'm, I, and I'm just sitting quiet before the Lord and I don't know what to say. And I just keep exhaling and I breathe in and I breathe out and I say, Lord, I don't, I don't know what to say, but I know, you know what's in my heart. There's a confidence in that. There's a grace in that groanings too deep for words. So that means there are times when you should shut up because you have groanings that are too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So why what how when and when we don't know what to pray. Isn't it Amazingly gracious that God has given us answers in all of these categories, and again, I'm you know I'm, I'm making it all categorical, but this is this is these are organic processes. So here's just some encouragements as we close. Turn with me to Luke eleven. Because the first thing that we do when we realize we don't pray as we ought is we pray that God would give us a deeper desire to pray. So as we begin to pray for a deeper desire to experience this benefit of our redemption, we need to remember just a few things here. We need to remember the heart of God. When we pray. Verse five, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, loan me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give up and give anything because of his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Go after God in prayer for those things, for those petitions, for those supplications, for those changes, for those confessions, for those groanings. Go to him because that door is opened to you. Verse 10, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then here's where we get the sense of God's heart as a father right here. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? I would prefer beef. No sense in getting into that right here, right? But what son, if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Just rest on that word for a second. If you, you evil church, his words, know how to give good gifts to your kids and your friends and your brothers and sisters. If you, you, even you of all people, know how to do that. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him and he guides us again into what it is that we need to be asking God to give us more of that we know he will grant us and give us a yes in. Remember the heart of God a good father who will give you much more Not much more like houses on Martha's Vineyard, right? Not much more money necessarily in your bank account. I mean, that's prosperity gospel nonsense. Bible doesn't speak to that. But he will give you much more of the very thing that will enrich your life, grow you in deeper trust and faithfulness And grace and love and mercy to his son Jesus Christ. How much more of those things will he give those to you if he asks? That's the heart of God. Secondly, we need to remember that God uses our prayers to to change things. Again, not because our words themselves are magic, but because God responds to the heart behind them. It's because of our prayers that God does things. It's because of that person you've prayed for for Months and years that God finally uses those prayers to change their heart and bring them into the kingdom. When somebody comes to Christ, it's likely that somebody's been praying for them for a long time. James 5:16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Listen to what he says. He talks about Elijah. He said the Old Testament prophet. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, right? And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, could God have made it rain without Elijah's prayer? Yeah, because God can do whatever he wants. Did God listen to Elijah? Listen to the request of Elijah and act based on that request because it aligned with God's will? He did. And don't worry, because when you get a no instead of a yes, that is God's will coming to fruition in your life. And it turns out that that no is the yes that you actually want. Because he will withhold no good thing from you. And then finally, remember that praying increases your thirst for Christ. Revelation 22, 17, the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You don't have to pay for prayer. Jesus paid on the cross so that you have access and availability to God. Embrace it. Take hold of it. Stumble through it. Make it your life's work. Prayer. John Piper says this and we'll close. Draw near in prayer to the throne of grace. Bow down before its majestic authority and on your knees drink from the river of the water of life that flows from the throne of God. A, A church that will navigate these absolutely just crazy times with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and understanding and reasonableness is a church that drinks generously from the well of prayer. And I want that for you. I want that for me. I want that for our church. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of the privilege that we have to speak to you and that, you, that we have your ear, that you hear the prayers of your people, you hear our groaning and complaining, you hear our praising and rejoicing, you hear our thankfulness. Lord, as we draw near to you, you draw near to us and you remind us that word, not alone. And you remind us that we have access and availability to you, oh Lord, that we would take advantage of that, that we would drink and drink and drink from that well. Lord, I pray for us as a church, that we would be a praying church, that we would depend on you, that we would be weak and needy before you, that we would be fragile, that we would commit our fears and our hopes and our dreams and our failings and our sin to you daily and constantly and that Lord through time and through your faithfulness to us Lord you would do such a work and such a transforming work and renewing work in our minds and hearts that we'd be able to look back and see the effects of grace and mercy in our lives because we never stop going to you so Lord give us a give us a A ceaseless prayer that just works itself through this church, Lord, for today and all the years to come. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.